Contenders ready! Gladiators ready! Three, two, one! The Gladiators! Hello and welcome to the Glad Pod in association with Gladiators TV. I'm David Blackmore and here with me as always is Jet and producer Paul diving straight into the Glad Pod mailbag this week and I got a letter from Tom who says he was horrified to have discovered that the Glad Pod so late didn't start listening till quite late on in, in 2020 but now that he's fully caught up and like so many of you he wanted to share his memories of watching Gladiators. So he was 11 when the show started and he can still remember the hype leading up to the to the first show and how the first episode was such a big event for him and his friends he goes on to say how he's been obsessed with the american wrestling at the time because i think as he quite rightly says most american things were better in the 90s for uh, for kids but in one episode of gladiators he was completely won over you know hulk hogan gone and like everyone else he knew he was just completely besotted with jet and he adds that his best friend had a signed photo of of die next to his bed and it was like his coveted item which i can the visual of that i can definitely picture alongside like probably a big alarm clock as well along with saturday nights watching gladiators he also managed to get lucky you to get to four trips to the nia and he wanted to thank die in her role in bringing his friends and family together Firstly, it was really wonderful to see how many people had started listening to the podcast after we'd finished series one. It was great that it was still appearing in people's feeds and that people were still getting in in touch with us. And it'd be great if everyone could do something which I'm going to call pass the pod. So if you hear someone who is a Gladiators fan, send them a link to the podcast. If you hear people who enjoy listening to podcasts, send them a link. Let's spread the word about GladPod. And secondly, he mentions the hype leading up to that first show. For so many of you, it must bring back some great memories. Now, Paul, I know we've spoken about this before, but the build-up to that first episode was incredible, wasn't it? And, and, and then the show didn't disappoint. I think that's the key thing. You get a lot of hype for these kind of shows. If the first episode had disappointed, it would have been forgotten probably. But because it lived up to its hype, I mean, it just kicked on from there, didn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I always remember seeing that first TV ad, what, what ITV launched, which was basically like introducing the, the events and, and kind of the arena. And like I said, on my kind of episode of the Glad Pod, where I'd come from watching He-Man, Thundercats as cartoons to then seeing these people as real life superheroes. But it was interesting to kind of mention about the American wrestling as well, WWF, as it was known back in the day. There was definitely at school two camps of, of fans. There was the WWF fans and the Gladiator fans. And I always remember obviously being on the Gladiator side of, of loving the show that the fact that it was real and WWF was scripted and, and fake to some extent and stuff like that. So there was definitely two camps probably at every school in the nineties where you were either gladiators or WWF. And then it's funny that Hulk Hogan obviously went on to host the American Gladiators reboot as well for NBC in 2008. So two kind of camps of of fans kind of colliding to uh to create that as well and die i picking up on that america wrestling line as well i mean he's right most things from the us the imports in those days 
were better coming into the UK than what we were creating ourselves. But then Gladiators changed that perception, didn't it? There we've got, we've got something that was in America that's now come to the UK and it's just been made bigger and better. And for a lot of people living in the UK at that time, they've gone from, say, looking westbound to, to the States, suddenly being able to fully get behind and support a show in the UK with these superheroes, these gladiators. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you that you think that. But it, even if I look back, just the production value, and there's a few people to mention, obviously Kenny and Nigel, Kenny Warwick and Nigel Lithgow, director, producer. But there are a few others. Um, you know, it was down to, you know, even lovely Stephen Abnett with the costume design, so that attention to detail and making it really quite unique. But I've got to mention with that, the whole look of the show, Brian Pierce with his lighting design and how they used the blues and the reds. And, and we had this huge arena, which the Americans never had. And of course, Jonathan Glazier's directing. But it was just a brilliant team, even down to the, to the crew and the riggers. It was just a massive, massive machine and a big team effort. And I think after we got probably four or five shows under our belt, which would take about seven hours to, to film just for one hour because there was so much rigging and de-rigging to have to do and big camera setups. So it was like up to nine cameras recording live. And we're talking pre-digital, so everything was still on, on film. So it was a huge, huge, we had the budget, we had everything, we had the best talent. So yes, I, I think we did blow the American production into the weeds because ITV at the time, in light entertainment, they could throw the budget at it. And it, and it's, you know, it's paid dividends to this day because I don't think, some of our Saturday night stuff's pretty good now. They've kind of caught their, caught their rhythm again. I don't know who's director of light entertainment out there at the moment with that, with the ITV network, but yeah, it really was kind of. A time and a place, wasn't it, really? Yeah, no, absolutely. And Tom mentions his best friend having a signed photo. And this is something that comes up a lot in the messages to us. But reading that, my question to you listening is, do you still have your signed photos from the 90s? Because I know I've seen a lot of pictures and signed stuff where people have gone to the sort of the the the, the con of the comic con events so they're kind of more up to date so do you still have your signed photos from the 90s i'm going to ask paul that in a minute are they still pride of place in your home please do send us your pictures paul you still have loads of stuff from from you know from way back when don't you i do and the signed photos definitely a big part of my uh, collection in my uh, my parents loft every year the gladiators would get new photos so they were kind of it was almost like a, a collection of them that you would kind of do to try and get the the complete set of the gladiators so if you were lucky enough to meet them you could get them there but there was a lot of like write fan letters and writing off and then waiting for the gladiators to reply and, and fingers crossed they sent a, a photo as well so definitely got lots and lots of those and probably a lot of extras too and die finally i just wanted to pick up on the the last point that was made about thanking you for your role in bringing friends and family together. I mean, I think by that he means kind of gladiators as a whole. And I think that was the true success of the show, wasn't it? That it brought friends and it brought family together. Yes, I think like a lot of good primetime Saturday night TV tries to do to this day is make it family oriented. And I think... You know, you were mentioning Hulk Hogan. I'm, I didn't actually know, thank you guys, that he was hosting. Of course he was. To remind me, there's many reasons why my brain doesn't remember these things. But it was the turnover from anything kind of contrived. And, and that's what's bringing me back to the whole family entertainment bit. The camera doesn't lie. And what was great about Glads, even though it wasn't for us 
gladiators with our bodies because the bodies paid the price to this day. It was honest and it was real. So when that whistle went, there was nothing contrived or choreographed at all about any of the events because it technically was a game show. And when it's a game show, you can't rig it, you can't retake anything if it doesn't look right on camera. As I said, we had so many cameras actually recording at any one point, any one point in time. So it was captured to its best ability. And then edited beautifully. I said, I've gone up about the, the crew and the talent behind, behind the scenes. So you had kind of a, a real gl- glimpse of something completely honest in terms of family entertainment. And yeah, I don't know. If, I think only things like X Factor and things that have come through to this day that kind of convey a little bit of that integrity and honesty still. And Glad certainly had all of that at its heart. And everybody loved to see like the the, the, the underdog winning, which is the, the show gave itself to. You know, it was somebody just literally from you know from from the bottom proving themselves in that arena and became household names. To this day, we can all remember the Kerrins and the Unisers and the Mark Mottrams and people like that. Just yeah. It just had everything, and it was honest. Absolutely. Tom, thank you for your letter. As always, it will be great if you could give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or whichever platform you listen to the Glad Pod on. It's always great to read some of your reviews. It, honestly, it really does mean the world to us. Thanks to Chris Carr, who uh, loves listening to the podcast to hear the behind-the-scenes stories, and to Watkin95, who grew up with the Gladiators revival and then the repeat marathons on Challenge. He does say he vaguely remembers watching the original series when he was about four, but that he kind of he kind of got into it as it was ending, I guess. So I kind of get that. But interestingly, his favourite podcast so far has been the um, Phoenix episode, which actually was one of my favourite from the first series as well. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And remember, you can get in touch with us and share your Glad stories by emailing gladpod at gladiatorstv.com. Com. Di, I shall hand over to you to introduce this week's guest. Three, two, one. On today's Glad Pod, oh my, oh my, to his friends, to his family, and to <laughs> millions of moviegoers across the planet. He's known as Mark Smith. But to you and I, Glad fans, it's Rhino, and he joins us now live from Santa Fe. So great to see you. Has been a long time, and you've been a very, very busy, busy Rhino. Yeah, but I've been trying. Yeah, it's been busy, but I don't really look on it as being busy. I'm always kind of looking for the next thing. We always like, Mark, to talk about kind of that that journey that you get to even get in the glad core and, and, and the routes yeah. that people took. You know, you've got gymnastics, you've got athletics and bodybuilding, and, and that was that was the route for you, wasn't it? It was 17 years old. Well, uh, so let's go way back to the beginning. I was, how did I hear about glad? I was well into competitive bodybuilding. I won the Junior British Championships in 89, the London Men's Heavyweights in 92 against Jefferson King, who was Shadow. So he came second. I won that, and that was in Holborn. 94, I came fourth in the British Men's Heavyweight, 24 years old. And then I was asked, actually, by my ex-wife, uh, her her brother's girlfriend knew Kenny Warwick, Small World. She said, why don't you go in for a meeting at LWT and do a fitness tryout? And I was, I was like, 
270 odd pounds. So long story short, I, I went to the school in Southwark opposite LWT. Diane would know that very well. I do this fitness tryout. Kenny Warwick and Nigel Lithgow were there. And mate, I, I was not built for that sort of fitness. You know, power movements are fine. And then the last thing was climbing up the rope. I had no technique whatsoever. I remember looking at my bicep. I, I didn't use my legs at all. And I was pulling like this. And I was moving literally two inches each pull and no no legs no technique I looked down and I could see Kenny Warwick and Nigel Lifko going come on beef come on you can do it you can do it I, mate I was pulling with them all my dear life and I just about made it then I done an um, interview at LWT where they used to vet us individually and see if we'd been in trouble with the police and get a backstory on us and then luckily I got in my first trip was to Australia 1995 and that was a huge eye-opener for me because every individual in this world has their own story, their own journey. So if this is a no-holds-barred interview, for me to be totally honest, you know, my mum and dad split up when I was like two, three years old. Mum suffered from depression. I grew up with my hardcore Jamaican granddad. So the only thing that was kind of subconsciously observed by me was you get up, you got to get up early and go to work. And if you want anything, you got to put the work in. When I went to Australia, I, I saw these gladiator girls. No, no, sorry. I've done the live shows first at Wembley, didn't I? Was it, was it Sheffield? Yeah, go on for, was it Wembley? Or Sheffield? No, no, it was Sheffield first and then you did Wembley afterwards. My man, see, he knows better than me. I, I saw the girls coming up in their cars and with their own credit cards. Honestly, I was like, wow, these people are earning money, man. I see Nigel Lithgow pull up in a 300 SL white one. I remember clearly, girls had Jeeps, their own credit cards. I'm thinking, this is amazing, man. Bearing in mind, up until that point, I'm working in the sports shop in the day. I'm training after that. And then I go to Australia. Somehow I was lucky enough to be picked. Uh, and I'm on the plane in business class. I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is incredible, man. You stay in this like flash hotel and everything's paid for. So you're getting paid. I'm getting paid for bloody hitting people. At that stage, though, when you were downloading, I'm actually on my way to the other side of the planet in business class. And when I get there, I'm going to walk into an arena I've not walked into before properly. And I don't yeah, fully know yeah. if I can do those events as well as they want me to. Bit of apprehension going on. Big time, big time, Diane. And I remember the first time I stepped across in Jaw and I think the, the expectation before that was yeah Rhino you're going to smash them off and no technique and, and I'm thinking okay knees low and and you know through nerves or whatever I've stepped across and I remember saying to Helen Panther I'm no shadow man you know what I mean I, I, I'm me but they, everyone thought I was going to be like shadow and knock people off and like get intimidated you know remember when he stood with the eyes and he used to be like that and that was a, a reality check for me where then I started to go back to boxing and change my training around did you did you actually think after that controversial and high profile exit of, of Shadow. Did, did you feel pressure A, coming into the show but was there extra pressure on the, the team as a whole during that time do you think? What I can say and it sounds very cliche is that I'm not even saying this because Diane's here but there were certain individuals not, no one was horrible to me. Remember I came in in 95 so they're the old school they're like the godfathers right? You obviously you got Diane Jet killing it sexy fit. No honestly it, it, all, all people that all personal appearances just say to me yeah lightning lightning and um, Jet Jet's my favourite and uh, hey and when she does that with the, you know, that, that was like almost iconic, wasn't it? Just as being real, yeah? And next up, it's Brian! And I'm lucky for him because he's going to be pulling against the Rhino! Making his debut on Gladiators! Oh, 
Bryan is going to need every ounce of his 14 stones in the whiplash ring against new boy Rhino, who carries more than a three-stone advantage. He may be five foot ten high, but he's nine foot wide! I remember Cobra took me aside. Um, James was really cool, Hunter. And um, I mean, everyone was cool, but Diane, I remember Diane saying, are you okay? Like in the pen, we used to sit there before going out to 8,000 people. To be honest, me and James kind of vibed a lot because we used to like really psych up before. So it's almost like prep going to bodybuilding or boxing. Whereas Saracen was more kind of cool, you know, he's just sit there and just, I know big thing. And, and that works for him and that's fine. But for me, I, you know, I'm going out to annihilate the person in whiplash or, or suspension bridge or power. I want to smash them. And Hunter really stepped in. I remember those very first few. He really he took to you. He and he 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 helped sculpt you. It was great, wasn't it? We used to train together a lot. Well, here we are in Australia, and as you can see, the weather's dreadful. Yeah, where's my coat? It looks like rain. We all went to see the final of the Australian series, and. It was a really good show. The gladiators are very, very tough. Yeah, very they, they weren't very good, Warrior, but uh, they haven't seen the British secret weapon. Oh, not a secret weapon. The rhino horn. Oh, now, let's yeah. show them what happens when we push the horn. Please do not oh. adjust your set to home, ladies and gentlemen. Did you see that? Oh. oh. Aussies, you've been warned. Following on from that, I think personally, I, I think you did bring something totally different to the show than Shadow. So I don't think that, that fans necessarily saw you as a, as a replacement, which is probably why they took to you quite quickly. But I think the point I was saying is, did you feel the pressure going in to fill in the, the sh Shadow's shoes? I wasn't conscious of filling Shadow's um, shoes. I, I was conscious of trying my best and to not let down my fellow gladiators. I, f I felt like we all, every time someone came back, into the pen and lost they, they, they felt bad like they let down the rest of the family that's, that's the kind of vibe I got it, whether it was female or male it was a family and when one won you know you got pats on the back and that adulation and, and, and I like that and I suppose who doesn't I, I kind of you know I just wanted to win and try my best for them and, and look good on TV Confidence comes from knowing that we know something yourself and Susie Vogue anyone else that was dropped into a show like that particularly mid you know once the show was established you got zero acclimatization time on any of the events. So you were expected to go in and win on these events you'd barely ever done. How did you do it in the end? Because you did start pulling it out of the bag. I started watching how the, the, the girls and the guys done certain events and I tried to listen to the different technique. I mean, I, I dreamt of trying to do hang tough like Diane Hunter and, and Lightning. You know, they, they look so smooth doing it. It was for Saracen was good at it as well. But I, I knew my kind of niche was my power like in whiplash I felt confidence suspension bridge jewel it kind of got better every year and powerball I felt quick and if I get hold of someone I'm taking them down you know you kind of you know what you feel comfortable in let's play ball buster versus rhino 2-0 mark dispossessed reloads rhino stands his ground and grounds his man chews him up and spits him out mark back to square one Mark against Saracen, drops his ball. Buster doubled down by Rhino and Hunter. And Mark back for another ball and another brawl. Rhino again says, come on down. Buster 
Saracen's there, can't get a handle. Buster's free, oh, but Hunter finishes the job. Mark's loose, acres of space. Oh, great recovery by Rhino. Rhino packing in the tackles down there. Buster again. Hunter and Saracen get it sorted, and Hunter stops Mark. The Gladiators are dominating the pitch with consummate ease. Mark. Ball tries a slammer, can't dunk it. Buster with speed, Rhino with the fly to deflect him, and Rhino, the man of the match for me, tackled and shackled the contenders tonight. Buster, but time's going to beat him to another basket. Pulsating, powerful, fast and furious action, with the Gladiators grabbing the glory. What was it like to start realising you were going to become famous for the first time? When it hit me was when I bought the my first house in Yedin, Hillenden in 1995. I remember exactly how much I put down on rare, rare, rare. But anyway, so I, I went to Tesco on a Saturday night about about 7.30. And then people started looking at me a bit funny and said, Hey, I just saw you on TV. Rhino, I can have your autograph, can I have a picture? And I went, yeah, yeah. Paul knows me. We go way back. And I, prom- I promise you, it was not one time I've ever said to any kid or adult, sorry, I can't sign your autograph, I'm too busy. That's not me and I would never do that. So I was like, yeah, yeah. And I look behind me, there's this big line and the woman behind the cash desk says, behind the till, oh, can I get a picture? I'm like, wow. So that, that was when I thought, wow, this is huge. Is it for Rhino? All that muscle and an Elvis impression too. He's already a favorite with the crowd with the contenders he came he saw he conquered Presumably you'd seen gladiators before. Did you look at that and think, I'd love to be a gladiator? I remember I used to train in Muscle Works Gym. It was one of the most hardcore gyms in London. And there's a few people in there that went for the contender and gladiator tryouts and didn't get in. But I was so in the zone into bodybuilding and competing and getting bigger. I didn't really think about that, to be honest. And did I really watch it? I, I heard of it and I knew I knew your Lightning, your Jet, your Saracen and Shadow and Wolf were like the most popular the ones I kept hearing their names but I didn't really have no aspirations to join it no I, for other people that joined the later series that was almost like the be all and end all for them that they, they'd seen it and they wanted to get on it so it's really refreshing to hear that but what I'd like to know now is you're probably the first gladiator to have already come in with your own nickname Nigel Lifto said that to me he, uh, in LWT he said hey uh, your nickname is Rhino and then Kenny comes and sat down so there's three of us uh, Nigel says yeah can we use that name and I went yeah yeah sure then they they said, go down to the 11th floor, 10th floor, and go to see Bill Headersley. Yeah, and then he'll give you a box of cards. It was all like, wow, this is, this is amazing. They give me like this box of 10,000 cards. A few gladiators and a few people behind the scenes all said different things to me, including John Vashnu. But Bill Headersley said to me, hey, let me tell you something. You know, Shadow got caught um, for taking drugs. Don't, don't take any drugs if you do, because otherwise you'll spoil your charm. I went, no, no. I remember thinking, no, no, I won't, I won't. And John Fashionu, then at NIA, National Indoor Arena, and he went, I know, let me tell you something. Listen, it's just, it was between um, rehearsals and we would get to practice on a few games for 48 hours. And he said, you know, Jeff messed up his chance. He said, as a black man, you know, you can't mess up your chance. You're very lucky to have this job. You're very fortunate. Don't mess it up, Rhino. He looked me right deep in the eyes, man. He went, don't mess up your chance. He's one tough guy, six foot, nine foot wide. I think my arm is about two foot longer now. Did you ever think he was going to go? Boy, he's solid, solid, good, good gladiator, solid man. I'm like that now, look, look. <laughs> he's not somebody you want to come up against. Oh, no. No points, Brian. Rhino! Yes, very popular. Yes. 
You can make this game your own. What were your tactics? He was fast. Um, he was getting tiring. The last 10 seconds were really tiring. I couldn't wait for the whistle to go. Um, we've been practicing it backstage. I'm going to make this my game. So, Mark, where does the nickname Rhino come from then? Oh, so in Bodyworks in Tottenham, I was training there for the Junior British Championship. I was 19 years old. I competed in Sheffield City Centre. And prior to that, for some reason, you know, bodybuilders, when, when they take off their tops and take down their bottoms, they just do it in the gym. I, I used to just drop my drop my pants in the gym. But not. it sounds like I'm some sort of porno star. But I used, to, I used to just think, I just want to have a look at my legs and see if they're coming in and see if my glutes... If, you know, like my ass is getting the lines and the serrations. It's like like attention to detail. Yeah, you want to get like the intercostals here and the veins in your legs. So I used to just drop my trousers. And then the combination of that and the way I used to shout and when I used to train, my tongue used to come out like a rock bar. And um, people just called me Rhino. And then it kind of stuck and everyone just called me Rhino. So did you have a say when your costume was being designed and stuff, or you got to go in and meet the lovely Stephen Adnett, of course? Can you go back? You remember, there was all these tiny little things. What was that like for you when you had to go in and get your costume fitted? They said, do you want mid-thigh, low-thigh, high-thigh? Me being a slight narcissist, I said, yeah, man, high, high, as high as you can get it. I want to make sure, because this was pre-injury. So, you know, I was, I was hefty. I was feeling good, looking good. And I said, as high as you can get it, and as thin as you can get it here, so I want to show the pecs on the arms, shoulders. And then was our big photo shoot where I'd done, you know, that shot. And, there, you know, everyone wanted to look, obviously look really good for their personalised card. Hunter said that he would probably have changed your name from Rhino to Lamb yeah. Chop. What's the story? Because we used to stay in the higher Regency in Birmingham and everyone used to kind of eat certain healthy foods from the menu in the Hyatt. But about four times, I, and obviously lamb chops is very fattening, uh, I, I ordered the, the lamb chops and mashed potatoes. Uh, it's a, it was a mountain of food. Now I think there's like 15 lamb chops on there and, and Hunter said, what, what are you doing with that? I said, what do you mean? And he said, like, and then from then on, he's a bit of a joker as well. As hard as he trained and got focused for events, he did used to joke around a lot. So he used to start calling me lamb chops. Uh, and then I think Ulrika started doing it as well. They, yeah. yeah, luckily it didn't didn't stick too much. <laughs> and can you still remember your uh, the the music that you're entering your rooms to? Montel Jordan, this is how we do it. Yes. Well, listen to this. I said to at that time Puff Daddy was smashing it on hip hop, and I came from uh, the hip hop era of body popping and break dancing and whatever else. I said to Kenny Warwick, he said, "What tune would you like to come out to in National Indoor Arena in Birmingham?" I said, "What about uh, I'm coming out." Mace and then he said um, no I don't think we can get the copyright to that or something what about and I said what about I, I'm coming out by um, who's the female singer the one before Mace like Diana Ross Kenny said to me oh I, I don't think people might perceive that differently and I went oh uh, it, was, it was so funny because I meant I'm coming out to the stage you know what I mean? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I was it. He, he didn't he, he interpreted it as I'm coming out and then I said, um, what about Montel Jordan? This is how we do it. So that was it. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the gladiators, I used to see Diane in the back. All the heads were popping behind me. Rhino! Well, Phil said they don't charge you. With a rhino on the pitch, he may change his mind. 
So we've established already he had a great relationship with Hunter. He we really did. He, 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 he was, I remember watching you guys together. You'd have so much fun. And he really got into your psyche. And he, he made you feel so comfortable in the arena, like I said, because you had such little exposure time on the events. What was your most memorable moment, if you were to be able to encapsulate it? My most memorable time on an event was probably the Powerball where I held someone for 29 seconds. So... I, I think it was James actually they kept saying I was like 15 then I, well, I held another one for like 19 and this guy was just wasn't getting I just kept banging him out and then John Anderson kept making him go to the start and then I made it my personal mission to not let him get through even to number two was that Gauntlet? Gauntlet sorry that was memorable and Chris charges the Rhino and Rhino's having none of it sends him back where he came from and again in fact Chris having a tough time actually getting into the Gauntlet let alone running it. And Chris now trying to shoulder charge his way through. Rhino not so much an endangered species as a dangerous one. Boy, Chris, break it up, give it some push. Oh, clears Hunter and Raider. Oh, but Wolf tames him. Stops Chris dead in his tracks. Oh, he's been pushed, parried and punished. And all for no points. Another bad day at the office. And Chris can thank Rhino for that. Skillful, strong. What a great new signing this gladiator has turned out to be. That terrible trouble at the beginning there. But then you did pretty well. Yeah. I just couldn't get that big back in the end. Guys, Rhino, he's well, he's wider than he is tall. Yeah. I felt the whole width length and everything of him. Guys, massive. Let's hear it for Chris. Well done. Terrific work there. I mean, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was brilliant. I enjoyed that. Um, this game sees me down to the ground. It's a charging one. That's why they've all put me in the front. I love, I love it. Well, you did pretty well. Well done, Rhino. I think pretty well is a bit of an understatement, Ali, when you look at that. It was during your first series that you injured your ligaments. That's right. It was on the pyramid. What happened? You were going up. After the contender, I got to the top. He was just about to touch the red pod to win the te- maximum 10 points. I got hold of him. We tumbled down to the bottom, but I landed with my leg straight and I, I, and I remember it jolting and I've never felt pain like that, excruciating pain. And I, I remember clearly them carrying me out on the stretcher, TV cameras there, and Nigel was walking with me. I, I just knew something wasn't right. And of course, you know, they looked after me. I went to Nuffield Hospital in Edgbaston. Then they sent me like to Harvard. Street, you know, physio work. So, yeah, Kevin Lidlow, I remember all these names. Kevin Lidlow was a physio. He was really cool and he got me back to normal. Well, were you worried that you weren't actually going to be able to return? The, the shocking part for me was they put you in a cast for like nine weeks. I went to Scotland at, with Vogue to do a personal appearance and I'm in a bloody wheelchair and my legs like at a certain angle and cutting back even to Nuffield Hospital. I, I remember it was like two sisters, two big black aunties said to me, I said, I, I want to go to the toilet. And they said, oh, oh, we will bring you. And I went, oh, no, it's like, it's like, I was so embarrassed. They had to help me go to the toilet, man. It was like your auntie bringing you to the toilet. And uh, and then with Diane going on the plane, with Diane, with um, Vogue, Suzanne going to the plane to Scotland to do a personal appearance. That was, um, that was a lot of hard work trying to get on the plane in a bloody wheelchair and hobbling. And, and then taking off the cast was the most hurtful time. I, I took off the, the cast and I looked at my thigh and I thought, oh, my gosh, where's, where's my freaking... Fo- 
bygone. It, it went in, muscle wasted. So all those years of hard work, I was thinking, oh my, and it was hairy. Like, what? Do you know, your heart must have broken because there you are, you are a role model. Did you feel a sense of responsibility? And of course, at that point in time, you're thinking, can I withhold this responsibility now? Because obviously there's something more important going on after the injury. What had to happen to yeah. you psychologically? Uh, yeah, I think I was I was sad for, for a little while. And then there was a few other injuries on the show as well that year. And I remember even a little turning point was being in Nuffield Hospital and Bill Withers came on the radio. And it was, um, when I wake up in the morning, love, the sunlight hates me. And the chorus comes in, it says, it's going to be a better day. I think you've got to get through this, man. Then the physio work and then bit by bit, you know, you go to the gym, you do a bit more. And then I overturn that kind of downward spiral that I was in. What was the reaction from your fans at the time? You know more than me how much fan mail we used to get. Um, The amount of letters I got saying, um, uh, Rhino, you know, we love you. Please get better. Hope you're okay. And yes, it's very touching, very inspiring. Oh, and rolling. Fury to the ground. It's chaos up there. John Anderson's got to get a grip on these flagrant gladiator infringements. Rhino's lying on top of Yuri, but the referee has stopped it on 13 seconds. Rhino injured. Well, he's definitely taken a knock as John Anderson summons medical help. Rhino obviously in considerable pain. And quite why Rhino was so high on the pyramid, only he knows the gladiator way above his allowed patrol zone tumbles down Yuri and his full 17 stones snaps down on his right leg. Physio Mike Garmston and the gladiator's doctor Bruce Websdell in attendance. Strapping that leg. And Rhino in a lot of pain every time he moves. The Rhino fans concerned and so they should be. This new Gladiator has proved to be such a big hit with Gladiator fans, and he'll be devastated if it's a, a bad enough injury to keep him out of the rest of the series. Your friend, Metin, he'd obviously said about how you'd kind of pushed him in the right direction. You, you yeah. know, you've got him in the place that you felt like he needed to be. He jumped through all those hoops and then didn't make it on. You must have been heartbroken for him. Well, I had a few friends that went for it and went for contenders, uh, the contender tryouts and get in. So then Metty got a tryout. Then he told me he got in. I said, that's amazing. And then they went. he went to Australia. And then I kind of heard through the grapevine that it didn't go very well or he didn't really vibe with some of the gladiators and he didn't get him. I went, Metin, that's a bit shocking. He gets on of everyone. Like bubbly and he's cool and he's funny, he's charismatic. So, uh, and, I, and I thought when they said Shark, I was thinking, wow, that's a, that's a great name. And he could play the baddie. He's like this sort of roles. And he would have been there for the kids, which obviously is the most important. Your other friend, um, Anthony Nesbitt, he made it onto Gladiators as a contender. Did, did you have to go up against him? I, I went, a guy, went against the guy that he was against. It was suspension bridge. Yeah, I, I didn't want him to get any points. So we now move into the men's event with Mark. And he's going to be facing Rhino. Over to John Anderson. Contender Rhino! It's Rhino, charging at Mark like he's a Land Rover, forcing him right with a hammerhead, swinging him left, Mark all over the shot, oh, and there's the drop, Mark dents the mat. 
Rhino looking like he just walked into some cobwebs. Either that or he's practicing his doggy paddle. Supreme dispatchment of Mark swings him to his left. The balance goes, a shove on the shoulder, a cheeky tap, and Rhino makes his mark. Rhinos, a dangerous species. When it comes to gauntlet, what was the, the, the tactics and the thinking about you always, always being in the front? Uh, because I, I just felt the, the captain of the team, of our crew, to be in the front and to, to hit him on impact and to slow whoever the contender is right there and then and to, to make it as easy as possible for the rest of, of, of the four of the team. So I, I, I wanted to bang, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. You have to, you have to slow down their pace. You have to hit them first as they do that run. Cause they've got a long run up. It feels like it's a 50, 50 chance between you and him. Cause you're the first person. He's got a good run at you. And I forgot about the 8,000 people that are around us and people at home. It's just me and him. I can see in his eyes. I saw a clip the other day. Remember Colm? Colm, Irish guy. Amazing contender and obviously the king of the gauntlet at the front. And it was such a moving thing because he, he just kept, John kept blowing the whistle on him. And you did a lovely thing. You came behind him and you comforted him and like patted him on the shoulder when he'd just been defeated and defeated. He tried to go under your legs, under Wolf's legs, and he just wasn't hacking it. Your heart went out to him. Do you remember that one? Got emotional, didn't he? Colm needs 10 points from this at all costs. Oh, Rhino smashes him, almost out of the gauntlet. Colm rolling and Rhino's rocking. Now he's out the other side. Ref's blown up to stop this pillar to post pasting. I can imagine I'm probably the last person you want to see right now. On the say, here we go. It's just not happening for me today. I'm getting very aggressive. I'm losing it. I'm going before the whistle. John, I don't mean to do that. I'm just anxious. Uh, this means everything to me. You really don't know. You don't understand. What's it mean to me? You're in desperate need of some points before we get into the eliminator. Now you managed to pick up three. I know that's not great for you, Colin, but you've got to stay focused now because all that stands between you and a place in the final is the eliminator. Anything can happen in the eliminator. Everyone here in the arena is behind you. Go, go backstage now and focus. Let's hear it for Colin. Come on. Ulrika magnificent, telling Colin to stay focused for the big finish still to come. Dolores still sobbing. These displays of emotion have never been seen before on Gladiators. Colin exits to the locker room to pull himself together. So, Mark, what was it like to face your fellow gladiators in the Battle of the Giants? Oh, wow. That Well, for, for us, it was like, it was like, oh, man, this is going to be really weird, guys. And obviously, the, the wall and hang tough and I, think, I can't remember, there's certain events where I thought, oh, man. I don't think we were relishing the opportunity to be, to go against our fellow, you know, family. To, to, it wasn't great. It sort of changed things, didn't it? I mean, I remember I, I didn't because I'd, I'd, I'd kind of long gone by that point. But having to go up against, say, someone like Lightning, can't even imagine what that would have been like. How just how you know how far you'd have to dig deep. Yeah, you, you, the, the psyche of that, you don't really. I, I can't imagine any of us individually can really say hand on heart. Yes, I'm going to violate Cobra, Hunter, Saracen, Wolf, or I'm going to smash him, Warrior. Is just, just I don't think anyone really wanted to do that in their heart. So let's meet the gladiators who are getting ready to rumble. Wolf, Rhino, and Cobra. Are ready to rumble. How are you feeling about this competition? 
I feel fine. We had mixed feelings before. We're all brothers and we're going against each other, but we're looking forward to it. We're all equipped individually for different games. And, uh, you know, let's get it on. And last up, it's Rhino and Saracen. Well, Saracen a hang-tough cookie of old, while Rhino has never really been happy on the ring. Saracen, with a cool head and solid gold easy action, a picture of a man happy in his work. Rhino in a drop of trouble there in no man's land. Sarah makes it to the platform. Oh, and Rhino's gone! Down and out in Beverly Hills, his fans are as stunned as he is. Very, very unlucky. It did look as if you were struggling up there. I wasn't struggling. Yes, you were. Oh, we. Oh. Well, for those of you who are sitting so far away, there's basically just bare flesh on Rhino's hands. So if you're having your dinner at home now, enjoy it. A bit of sympathy there from the audience, and that's what I'm saying. It looked to me as if you were in pain or you were struggling. I was in pain, yeah, but I just wanted to go through it. That's what Gladiators is all about. It's the ultimate challenge, and that's what we've come here to prove. Absolutely. Let's hear it for Rhino and Sarah. Tell us a little bit about when you went to South Africa. Obviously, I'd long gone, and I've only heard kind of snippets of that from afterwards. It was a really brave thing to do because you didn't quite have it kind of as well sussed out before going. So you must have had to wing it while you were there. What happened? Uh, so, yes, I think that was 99 we went, wasn't it? 2000. Uh, and once again, for me, it was an eye-opener to go on these places that I've never envisaged going to. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to the same in Table Bay, which was in um, Cape Town. And then we'd done the Plattenberg, like Hermannus Garden route. We um, went to uh, Johannesburg. So went to some, went through some rough parts, some an amazing, amazing parts. And the safari obviously blew, blew my mind. One of the most memorable trips of, of my life, seeing the animals in a natural environment. So yeah, it was well organized. And the South Africans were really cool. They were, they were hospitable. We had a great, I had a great time. The health and safety was nowhere near up to the standard of LWT. No, did I feel safe? I, I, I didn't really think about it, to be honest. Yeah, I felt, I felt fine. I, I remember the, a, a few little Chinese whispers amongst the UK gladiators saying, mm, it's not quite as good as R1. But once again, for me, I was like, great, I love it. Ready to fight the duel, it's Michael. Extremely popular Cape Town school teacher Michael Toll wins his place in the South African team thanks to some courageous performances in the past. Here's up against Rhino! A compact, chiseled body of armour, Rhino is the perfect gladiator fighting machine. Over to Cyril Mitchley. Contender, are you ready? Three, two, one. Oh, Michael is blown away in an instant. His head will be ringing, and it's music to Rhino's ears. Another one the UK gladiator took a short backlift, but generated ferocious power, and Michael had only one way to go. Well, you went down with no points at all, Rhino. That was a very quick game. Thank you very much, Ursula. <laughs> <laughs> She said, make sure I pronounce her name correctly. I saw Michael warming up backstage, and he's very quick, very fast, so I thought I had to get be there very quick. I just come with the power, and lucky enough, I got Michael off. 
would you have considered being a gladiator in another country? Like we had Fox, you did UK to South Africa and, and Laser UK to South Africa. Would, would, would you have considered being a gladiator somewhere else? They asked me to come back. Core. I was halfway in my LA life. It was Sky. It was for Sky. And they, they offered three three thousand dollars. I said, three thousand dollars to come back to England to do. I said, nah man, oh, that's, that's, that's terrible. I can't do that. We we weren't earning money of footballers, myself and Diane and the rest, but that that's exploitation. I said, thank you, but I don't like to say no to anyone, but I said, thank you, but I'll, I'll, I'll pass this. Yeah, so I think they approached you back in the day because I remember when I was working on the show, they were like, we want to get Rhino for the legend shows uh, where they kind of brought back the original ones. But obviously you were in LA, so they sent out a crew to um, record with you for the documentary. Yeah, documentary. yeah, 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 I remember. But yeah, they wanted you in action in the arena, but obviously it didn't happen. And I know a lot of the fans were, were disappointed that they didn't see you back in action. Same with Di as well, Diane. She didn't come back to be in action and that's what the fans wanted. But it was a very different setup to the uh, original show as well. Kenny said to me as well, I saw him in LA and his clear words were, yeah, leave it. Don't, don't, don't go back. You, you, um, you, you done it. And, um, it was a great show to move on to other things. It was right for him to say that because he was killing it on American Idol, him and Nigel. Don't worry about them. They call me Rhino because I was born to charge. As you said, though, your, your next layer had already started to be established. Your, LA life. It's like the second half of your life. Yeah, yeah, actually, Di, that's what I was going to ask, because the thing I didn't, haven't quite worked out, Mark, is, is how it all came about. How did it all start for you in LA? I went to um, LA for a week on uh, like a acting workshop. You meet producers, writers, directors, casting directors, you perform scenes, monologues, and you get like an insight to what it's really like. Then my son at the time was four years old to Simone, my wife. I said, should we go out? I, I, I got a role in the film and we were going to go out for six weeks. Get out there. We stayed in Palazzo, which is where loads of kind of actors stay in this kind of central Hollywood. But the film folds. It loses its finance. So I'm just, I'm just, we're just there. We're with our four-year-old son, Brody. And, you know, you got people like Gerard Butler's staying there. Gerard had just, fin- Jerry just finished um, 300. Oh, you know, Bruno from Dance with the Stars of the Judge. And um, long story short, I had to go back to like the ground level. So I started going to like Howard Fine, who's a renowned uh, acting coach out there. And you had to perform scenes and uh, monologues to make it to the advanced level. I remember him saying to me, hey, Mark, you know what I like about you is um, uh, the, the, the sports mentality is that you don't give up. That's why I like working with athletes because they keep pushing forward and they, they every time they get knocked down, they get back up again and they keep moving forward. And I saw some other like actors that have come from Brazil, Italy, other parts of America. And you could see their confidence was crushed when they didn't make it to the advanced level and, and they was emotionally distraught. But the, the, the thing that me and Diane will have in common is that you can't win everything. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and in life, you're going to get knocked down. You've got to keep moving forward and you've got to get up. And it's just never, it's never smooth sailing. I, I kept pushing forward. I made it to the advanced cars. There's only two of us. That, and it started off about 28 people. And then I got Taft Hartley with a SAG card, which is the equivalent to equity. And I went for an audition 
and it was for McDonald's campaign. It was for the Olympics for 2008 as an American boxer. It's on YouTube. They said to me in the casting room, they said to me, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you, you have any boxing history? And I said, no, not really. I said, I love boxing. I admire boxers for what they go through. Yeah, I just like it for the fitness aspect and the mental side of it. And the guy next to me said, yeah, I'm Golden Gloves champion in, in 2004. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And I won in 2007. I'm South poor. And you know, I was thinking, man, how am I going to match that? I told them that. And, and somehow I booked it. And then they taffed Hartley you, which means they, they give you your SAG card and they pay you money. And then people said, that's amazing. You're going to get like 100000 because it's going to be, it, it's a national commercial, which means it plays over and over in every state in America. It was nowhere near that money. It, it was like quarter of that, which is still great. But it, it, it just got me a stepping stone. And with yeah. America, it, they don't really care too much about what you've done in England. So prior to that, I'd done Robin Hood, EastEnders, Synchronicity, Trial and Retribution, Batman Begins. It does sound good on paper, but they want to know how much you've done in it. I, yeah, I understand that. Because by then, you know, I mean, there's masses of lists. I mean, it's incredible what you, particularly what you've done since. But the gladiator role, what do your kids really think about? Of all the roles you've done, do they differentiate between the fact you were also a gladiator and not this this fine actor but what about you as dad rhino what do they think and have they seen it have they seen it on youtube yeah they've seen it on youtube they, I, I think it's like the youngest sterling he's nine years old he can't believe that wow you're like a wwe wrestler and he so he he's watched it quite a few times and i suppose looking at me now they, they couldn't believe that i, I was that big and, and that i had a fellow family of gladiators that were all these big hefty guys and the whole crowd i mean the the uk gladiators it was was so much bigger than the american gladiators i mean the the, the tv show was was big in in america but our eight thousand audience and the amount of people that it was watched by in terms of percentage of tv viewers it was it was big man that blind date that was a, a memorable time for people in the 90s and the last of our contenders up is facing the raging rhino this is going to be a cracker donald scored 10 in his last fight stand 6-2 and over 15 stones as for the rampant rhinoceros he's four inches shorter but a couple of stones heavier well presumably one character that the, that the kids do like is um officer mccorn um i was asked by my voiceover agent um to go so in america you have your voiceover agent your lawyer your theatrical agent your manager, you know, your commercial agent. That, that's, that's your kind of mission to have that package. So I was asked to go to Walt Disney and, and lay down the voice for um, the bull. And they said, um, we're thinking about trying to get Ricky Gervais. And I, I said, you know who would be really good for this? They, they wanted like a gruffly voice, something like that. And I, I said, Idris Elba, he, he's got like a gruffly. So I kept going in, they kept using me as a benchmark. And then I went in about, eight times and you don't get big money you're just laying down the voice for whichever star they get on one particular afternoon walt disney you know i've got the oscar academy award winners i've got jared bush byron howard and clark something so so there's three of them and they met me at the lift they don't normally meet me at the lift the elevator the the, um, the assistant does and they said to me um hey rhino we've had an idea we would like you to read for for rhino officer mccorn but hey if if you're not comfortable in doing it 
then, you know, we could hopefully find you another role. We, we can all relate to this. Inwardly, I was like, oh, man, so basically, like, this is, this is the audition. This is an audition for me now. I'm not laying down a voice. So you kind of step out of yourself when the pressure's on. I always have two people at pressure moments when I step out of myself and I tell myself, Mark, calm down, just relax. They, nice. People sense you and you're nervous and you don't perform right, yeah? So I, I said, Mark, just calm down, relax, breathe. And, you know, so I tried, tried to be my normal self and literally then I laid down the whole voice. And then they said, you've got the wrong... That's it. You've done it. Welcome. Welcome to the family, the Walt Disney family. And Mark, it was really weird because it was like not long since I kind of started working at Disney and Zootopia or Zootropolis as it was known over here um, was actually one of the first movies that I worked on. And then I always remember seeing the character of Officer McCorn and it had Mark Smith next to it. And I was like, is that is that Rhino? Is that his voice? And it was so weird to just have that connection all of those years later from a movie that I was working on. So it was, yeah, really, really good. I actually have an Officer McCorn toy what they gave me just because they were like oh here's Rhino so yeah that was really good my granddad used to say the same to me listen it's nice to be nice it costs nothing and it's nice to be nice to everyone because it's such a small world man and this whole entertainment industry I'm telling you if you're a, if you're a douchebag or whatever you want to call it in whatever country people remember it man you know I mean if you leave a good they, and they say like in an audition leave a good scent in the room you might not get it because you're white, black, fat, small, short, tall, hairy. What you know? It might just be out of your wheelhouse. It might not be because it might not be because you were bad in the audition. You just didn't fit the criteria or the role. But if you leave a nice scent in the room, you might be right for something in the future. Do you know what I mean? Rhino, how much do you weigh? Um, I'm about 18 stone. So show us your leg muscles. I'm so impressed. To do that. No, I won't, David. Now, uh, I saw you comparing sizes before. Yes, quite a comparison. And you're involved in Ultimate Tag. We have no idea what this is over here. Hey, what is it? Listen, Ultimate Tag is the main woman on there is Natalka Kazinak. We've done a Zoom meeting this morning. I've known Natalka for like 11 years. So I, I train her on like a Zoom workout. She lives in Brentwood near Beverly Hills. So I've known her for years. Yeah, she's doing really well. She's like the female version of Nigel Lifko. She sold Ultimate Tag in Australia and she wants to bring it to London. So Ultimate Tag is like when we used to grow, when we grew up, it's very much like Gladiators. You've got the contender, they, they run off on this assault course and like things that you jump over, run in between a tunnel, uh, and then they go, then the, the tagger goes, and he, the, the contender has a little thing behind him, a little red thing, or her, a little red thing, and the, the tagger has to pull it off him in the 60 seconds or 30 seconds. So it's very, I mean, even the Talca says it is gladiators, really. So um, that's basically it. And then they have two that run off at the same time, which is a little bit biased because then the tagger, like the gladiator, I could go after one and not the other and get that one first and then that one ends up with more points. So can't be in two places at one time. So it, it is funny. It is it's a good show and I, th I think it will do well in England. They, they've got a few, uh, obviously, American uh, taggers that try to have, try to be like Wolf. And I mean, Jet was very much herself on the show, gladiators, and I was very much myself. It wasn't a facade. Wolf was the only one with that. And obviously that worked and it was amazing. You were lucky. But I, I didn't I didn't do anything. It was just myself. If someone beat me, I was just used to hug them and say, well done, man. 
One final question I had about just some of the events. Did you feel like you got put on random events? Did you sometimes feel that they put you on Pendulum and Pursuit? Yeah, I, I mean, it would depended as well on if if a gladiator, a fellow gladiator was injured or whether they put them on a couple of their best shows they couldn't do, uh, best events and they couldn't do one of their other events. So I remember sometimes I would do Atmospheres or, or Pendulum a couple of times. But for the most part, they put us on the, the events that we we're good at, especially when it, when it got to the semis and the, the, se- the semis, the semifinals. <laughs> then obviously they put the best gladiators for those specific events to make yeah. it as tough as possible. That is true, yeah. Some of the posts we've been putting on Instagram and social media, Mark likes them. So you're like, <laughs> well, you know, if Rhino is, is looking at these messages and is liking them, he's like, well, we got to get him on the show. And it was just like, it, it's just good because again, it's just something that you've done. It's something you're nice, especially around Sharks um, episode yes, as yeah. well. You, you know, you showed yeah. your support for him during that. And, you know, that was nice. You're thousands of miles away, you know, it just shows you that you, you still got that connection to, to a show that was a big part of your life. You know, it's funny because Idris said to me, I'm dropping names again, I could drop names a lot, but Idris said to me a couple of weeks ago, uh, so I'm here in Santa Fe, it's like an $80 million budget movie, it's massive. He said to me, yeah, I kind of called, called out on social media, man. It's, I mean, it's, um, it's like you're not painting a facade, but he just wanted to lay low and come off it for a bit. And I said, no, I understand what you're saying. I said, for me, it's like letting people know what I'm, what I'm doing. You know, people in England letting them know what I'm still doing and I'm still trying. And I don't know, I feel like it's a bit inspiring to the people I kind of grew up with and people from, from the hood, so to speak. And he said, no, 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 I understand that. And, and I understand where he's coming from as well, where you've got to paint this this thing on social media, no one's going to say, oh, I had a really bad day today. I I use it for more positive reinforcement just to kind of inspire people. There was, there was something in my notes from producer Paul that, that actually, I can't believe it, actually connects you and I. Now, I used to write a lot of stories about someone called Michael Carroll. This is such a curveball when it's Paul's talking about kind of the boxing and, and then it says charity fight against lottery winner Michael Carroll. What? How did that come about? I mean, I don't know the background on it. All I've got from Paul is that you, there was two fights that happened and it, was it a case that he had money? And- I was approached. I'd I done one fight in uh, Hammersmith Palais. I just wanted to do one on like fight just to see what it was like. And it was a KO. It was, and then, then I'd done uh, against the rugby player in Earl's Court. And it was on one of the nights that we're filming Batman Begins in 2005. Done that. And then I was approached by the promoter who's from Manchester, who, who I can't remember his name, but he, he was, uh, yeah, he's very street. And he said, listen, fight against this guy. He's just won a lottery. Make it look good. Don't knock him out. Don't hurt him. We'll do it at your call. It'll be massive. And, um, you know, I'll give you X amount of money. And he met me in some car park and he gave X amount of money in a plastic bag. I never had that amount of money in a plastic bag before. And we done the way in. Yeah. It was very hard for me, though, because I had a lot of friends go to York Hall in Bethnal Green. And uh, you can see on the video that I'm just playing with him. And it was hard not to knock him out from a competitive standpoint. So I had to, I had to hold back. So when I done a rematch in, in, a re- in Manchester, then, then I, I knocked him out. He, he, was, he, was, he was nice, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone speaks bad of him for winning, I don't know, 10.9 million and doing drugs and women and whatever else. But I meant he, he, what you see is what you got and he's just himself. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. The, the percentage of people losing their money when they make money of winning the lottery, mm-hmm. the percentage is very high of people that burn through it because they're not advised right. It's, it's, you know, that's a whole different ball game again, isn't it? Holding on to your money. <laughs> A fantastic atmosphere here, Chris. Really wonderful. 
Yes, hello. He looks um, very calm and. Um, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know what I say. I say that was a good punch. I think that came from Rhino. Yes, Rhino's moving very well. He's moving. It threw me well. He's and sticking um, him. He's sticking him. Uh, Mikey holding the centre of the ring again. Go for the body shot. And a box to the head. Wow, I tell you what. Yes, he's having a go. He's having a go. He's hitting him again. He's hitting him hard to the body and the chest. Right. Oh, Mark, you know what? The time's come when we must say goodbye. We've got so much more that we'd love to speak to you about because you are doing wonderful, wonderfully crazy, wonderful things. We must come over and visit you. <laughs> what I loved about meeting up with, with Mark Rhino Smith again was just how much I remember not only was he a naturally very good athlete but he was really thrown in the deep end I remember going backstage and the boys all almost beating I won't swear out of him to kind of get him to go right and he was really enjoying it because he had an amenability and an affability that I think then translates to what he's doing now. He's one of these guys if you give him his lines you get the spot he's got to stand on on set and you just get on with it he'll do it total professional and it was that lack of attitude and, and and I'm going to do it my way he just was amenable and lovely and we saw this and we heard this with our when we met when we've been speaking today and I that's the bit that I always love about it so I naturally I if I make a connection with somebody I'm not great with social media you probably all know that but I do follow him and I love whenever I see what he's doing out there in LA and all the work he's doing and for instance you know we were talking to him then backstage on a on a film where he had to quarantine for what's been going on in the world. And again, just how welcoming he was to all of us to let us into this time of his life and go through it all again. And the joy he shared with us about what it was like for him to become a gladiator, what it was like during, and of course, what he's doing now. I just have a lot of time for Mark, a lot of time. Yeah, it was like you two turned back the years, really. It was like you hadn't been apart for, for you know, because we, we're now not, not only separated by just time and, you know, people getting on with their lives, but you, we're separated by thousands of miles. And I perhaps didn't realise building up to the, the podcast, Paul, that just how big his role was in terms of coming into the show in the shadow of Shadow's exit and just hearing him talking about the expectation of joining the show at that stage and also the advice that he was getting from people like Fash. Yeah, I think the facts, like I say, it was such a pivotal time in, in the history of the Gladiator show over here that Rhino was kind of taken on in, in the exit of Shadow and the kind of controversy that was around that. The fact that he was kind of told by fashion and numerous people in the production, like not to mess up this chance that you've got, like this is your opportunity to really make an impact. And, and there was a big gap in the Gladiators team. Like Shadow was the, the, the leader of all of them. So I think not only did Mark probably 
have that pressure on himself to kind of obviously make an impact with the fans and and trying to to be taken into the hearts of of the gladiators fan community which he massively was but i think probably looking back like as as, as the show itself as well like it was a massive pivotal moment where it could have gone either way with the exit of shadow and the controversy it could have either worked or it didn't and and thankfully it did work and he managed to cement himself in the team whilst not being like a duplicate of shadow like he wasn't the same character he didn't kind of he wasn't the king of jewel as, as much as shadow was as probably the producers wanted him to be but he found gauntlet was his kind of standout event and stuff so he made his impact on the show as authentically as kind of as shadow did really so i think it was we were lucky to find him and lucky for the show itself as well that it, it gave him the springboard to kind of the career and the lifestyle that he's got to this day. And I felt with Mark, he was so full of stories, like bearing in mind that we're talking a long time ago. And one question that we do tend to ask people is actually, when did you realise that, you know, you were, you were becoming famous? When you would become recognised? And most people by and large say, don't, don't have specifics, but he was able to sort of hone in on being in that supermarket and just realising that people are looking at him. And actually, I think, um, well, he said it, but I think you do concur with that, Paul, that he, he does and did always make time um, for his fans. Oh, massively. I think like, I think he referenced it in our chat that he's never like not, ha- if somebody's asked him for a photograph or an autograph, he's always done that. And like say the connection that I've known Mark for many, many years and even having that connection with how he was like the the voiceover on, on Disney's Zootopia for Officer McCorn. As soon as he knew that I worked at Disney and that he did, he was like in touch with me. He's like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like we're having that connection again. So he'd never really forgotten about all of that. And just the time that he'd make for the fans was, I think everybody who met him, he, he left an, a lasting impact on them of just being a really nice person. Like I've got friends who... I know now who have met him in the past and obviously didn't know my connection with the gladiators. And, and when they've since found out, they've always said, oh, he was such a nice guy. There's not been one person that I think has got anything bad to say about him. No, that's right, Paul. And actually, I really warmed to him during that chat. He has, he's so humble, but also, and I don't know if you agree with this guy as well, that really he's kind of used every opportunity that he's had, every door that's open to him. He has just blown that door open like a rhino would and has just taken full advantage of all the opportunities that he's got. But there is, there's having the doors open to you and there's, um, as he says, leaving a nice scent in the room so that, you know, people do remember you. I mean, from your experiences with Mark, I mean, he just seems to be such a nice guy, but so driven and determined to, to be the best he can. Absolutely. I love that analogy of, you know, leaving a scent in the room and also what you made then about blowing the doors off like a rhino. There's one word I can use, and it's very rare I can use it for many people I've met. And I'm not judgmental. I'm a therapist after all, but it's grace. Now, what Mark has and that scent he leaves in the room is gratitude. So you mentioned humble, but there's something about him where you're around him and no matter what the exchange is or what's going on, you get the sense he is gracious. He has gratitude. And I simply call it the word grace. Very few people I've met have it and do it beautifully because I think it's something born. It's not something you can learn. And he has it. 
And this is why he's doing what he's doing now. I could feel very moved by it because um, I rarely see it. And he has he has it in bucket loads or in rhino-sized bucket loads. He's full of grace. And it sounds really, it's a fluffy word to say it for a rhino. <laughs> but it's, it's a gratitude. And that it's usually with the humble uh, comes in that kind of personality, set of personality traits. But he, he backs it up by being really talented um, and I'm not overplaying himself. He's just a pleasure to have around and be around. There were two other things that I've double underlined, Paul. So I uh, I know that I definitely wanted to mention them. The, the Battle of the Giants episode and, and him feeling a bit hesitant about doing it and also being asked to go back to do Sky Glads. And it, you, you kind of got a sense from him that he did want to do it, but it's kind of like that ship had already sailed is that kind of the vibe that you would have got at the same time yeah i, th- I think like obviously he'd done a bit of filming for the sky glads in in some of the documentaries that they did prior to kind of the revival series itself and i know that he was over in la at the time and had probably chatted to a few of the producers like kenny warwick who'd kind of obviously worked on the original gladiators and had heard how the the, the revival series was going and i think he probably just got a bit of advice that it, it wasn't really for him it wasn't the same show obviously he was cementing himself within his career and it probably was just not the right time for him to go back to to that and, and kind of take that on where he was kind of going in a different direction, obviously with his acting career. So I think he probably just had a gut instinct. That's the, that's the impression that I had that it just wasn't the right thing to do for him and, and that time. And obviously, like you say, the Sky Glads, as nice as it was that that existed and that some of the legends went back, it wasn't for everyone. And some of them wanted to, some of them didn't. And I think he probably sensed that it wasn't the right thing for him. And with the Battle of the Giants, do you think there was perhaps, um, apart from Hunter, the rest of the gladiators probably all felt a bit nervous about doing it because they're going up against people like Hunter. I mean, yeah, I, I remember that at the time. And I, I think even Hunter, to be honest, it wasn't kind of something that they necessarily wanted to do back then, but it was kind of... I suppose it was sold in as that's what kind of the the ITV chiefs wanted for the final series was Gladiator versus Gladiator, who's the ultimate. But I know all of the guys probably felt a bit awkward about it, but then just decided to just get on with it. But I think it was tough for Gladiators like Rhino, who he was more specialised, even though he could do all of the events, he was more specialised in the power events, whereas... Going into a show like Battle of the Giants, you had to do things like Hang Tough and The Wall, which weren't his speciality. They were more kind of, obviously, the more all-rounders like Hunter and Cobra. So it was tough for it to be a, a total fair competition, really, I think, with the events that was kind of selected in that episode. But like you say, he he got up on those wing, rings for Hang Tough. He, he climbed the wall and showed fans that he could do it. But I think for him, it was definitely more about going against his fellow teammates, uh, which probably didn't sit too well with him. And I think we should actually do, we should do an episode about Battle of Giants as well at some stage. I think we definitely should, because I think there's probably lots to discuss and lots to pick from from the episode as a whole, leading up to it, as you've just done, and kind of during and, and, and the aftermath as well. But before we finish this week's GladPod, I kind of felt like we didn't really go into too much as much detail as perhaps we should have done in terms of ultimate tag. So I, de- I definitely made a note of that and thought, actually, that's probably something that we should discuss because there, it, it could be something that will be uh, winging its way over here soon. Actually, even whilst we were talking to, to Rhino, I was 
looking up sort of YouTube clips of it and, and seeing how it, it might work in the UK. I mean, it definitely seems to be um, big outside of, of, of the UK at the moment. Yeah, I think it's the closest show recently that's kind of got the gladiator spirit in terms of the characters and, and things like that. I know that there's a guy called Ruel Da Costa who was bulldog on the American and the Australian versions of Ultimate Tag. And he actually tried out to be a gladiator and just missed it for the, the relaunch on Sky. And he's a massive kind of gladiators fan as well, as well as being a finalist on Ninja Warrior UK. But it was massively interesting hearing kind of Rhino's enthusiasm for that show and he's obviously seen something in it that has triggered something some passion off in him in in trying to get it to come over to the UK whether it would work I'm I'm not sure how well it's kind of translated in terms of another series for Australia and America I'm not sure if it's going to come back or not but I think it would be a show that with a few tweaks could possibly work for the for the UK audience to be fair yeah no I agree as always let us know if you've enjoyed this episode and if it sparked any new memories or questions do keep them coming in and we do enjoy reading them all email address is gladpod at gladiatorstv.com don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page good competition good spirit great sportsmanship as both contenders show mutual respect Join us again next week for the ultimate challenge, the might of...